So last week, we went over the closing prayer. We were learning uh, the closing prayer. It was a prayer in regard to the persecution, the Domitian persecution. That is the context of the epistle of First Clement. And so we went over the prayer last week, and now we're just ready to look at the last three chapters. And I don't think it'll take real long, maybe 10-minute class or something like that. Let's see how it goes. It opens up uh, this conclusion very well. It says, we've written enough to you, brothers. It is a long epistle. It's longer than any epistle in the New Testament. We have written enough to you, brothers, about the things which pertain to our religion and are particularly helpful for a virtuous life. So when he says things that pertain to our religion, he has Christianity in, in mind, of course, specifically uh, not just Judaism in general, but specifically the sect of Judaism that's called Christianity. And he says uh, that these are, these are the things that he considers to be especially pertinent to the practice of our religion, to a virtuous life. And I, what in, interests me about this is like, I thought, what if we got together some pastors and teachers, Bible teachers, and said, tell us the things that are pertinent that pertain to our religion that pertain to Christianity. And you get an interesting list. The fundamentals, the doctrines of, you know, you know doctrine, theology, Christology, right? Uh, eschatology, like we were talking about. <laughs> soteriology, right? You know, soteriology, that's the doctrine of how you get saved. These would be the fundamentals the, uh, the, which pertain to our religion. But let's, keeping that in mind, when you think back over the Epistle of Clement, how much of that have we covered? How much of that has he brought up? Not so much. Not so much. And when he speaks of things like eschatology and soteriology, it's been in pretty general terms, pretty broad and general terms. When he speaks of Christology, it's been speaking in general terms. You know, you don't get into um, a discussion of the Godhead or something like that. But in, in Christianity today, of course, uh, you go from church to church, and it will there will be different emphasis on different aspects of these things. But you'll find that these are considered to be, uh, if you don't have this this pile of stuff correct, if you don't have these things correct, your soul, the immortal soul, is in danger, right? Well, let's see what is important to Clement in things that pertain to our religion. It says, these are the things which pertain to our religion and are particularly helpful for a virtuous life, at least for those who wish to guide their steps in holiness and righteousness. And now he's going to give a little what he sees as a summary of his epistle. It says, we've touched upon every subject, faith, repentance, genuine love, self-control, sobriety, and patience. And have reminded you that you must reverently please Almighty God in righteousness and truth and steadfastness, living in harmony without bearing malice, in love and peace with constant gentleness, just as our fathers, of whom we spoke earlier, pleased him by being humble toward the Father and God and Creator and toward all men. So this is what's important, Clement. Faith, repentance. I think these are the two of the first things listed in uh, our six elementary teachings of Messiah as well. Faith and repentance were the, the first two on the list. 
genuine love, self-control, sobriety, patience, living an upright life, living humbly, like just as our fathers. Now he says our fathers, that, that's interesting, isn't it? Again, I mean, we've seen this a few times throughout here, but when he says our fathers, who we've already spoken about, we spoke about earlier, he's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the fathers of the Jewish people. In Clemens' worldview, it's not as if the Jewish people are one, one religion and Christians are a different religion. Instead, the way he looks at it, Judaism is the religion because that's the biblical religion and Christianity is, is a sect within that greater religion. However, that isn't quite, I mean, that sounds a little off. Because it's not as if the apostles or Clement thought of uh, themselves as just one small sect, you know, that's like almost inconsequential. Well, you got this and you got that and you got this and you got that. Or just this flavor of Baptist and then there's that flavor of Baptist on the street. They thought of themselves as the hot burning center. If there's a center of Judaism, then the house of David and the Messiah is at the center of Judaism. And the disciples of Yeshua his household, so to speak, his servants and his household are at the center of that. So it's perfectly appropriate. All of that is a very long way of saying it's perfectly appropriate for Clement to use the term our fathers, even when he's writing to Gentiles, because these Gentiles are all part of the same religion and extended spiritual family as the Jewish people. Make sense? Okay. And we have reminded you of these things what things, these things about the fathers, how the fathers behaved, the, that we are to be emulating Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and uh, following after their humility, and how they're humble towards God, and humble towards all men. We've reminded you of these things all the more gladly, since we knew quite well that we were writing to men who are faithful and distinguished, and have diligently studied the oracles and teaching of God. Oracles of God is the prophets, the prophecies, the, the teachings of God is, of course, the Torah. So we're speaking of the Tanakh. He says, I know you know the Bible. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure he knows that they know the Bible. I think he's just saying that. Because why else would he be using such long, long quotations? It seems to me as if he's assuming that there's actually a little bit, uh, like biblical literacy might be a little weak in Corinth. And so he has to write out these long quotations you know, we sometimes hold chapters, right? Whereas the apostles, they'll never do that. The apostles never do that. They'll just, they give, the apostles give a couple words, like three, four words, and you're supposed to know the passage. It's like, oh yeah, where it's written. So I'm not sure Clement really has this high of opinion of the biblical letters, literacy of the Corinthians as he indicates here, but we'll give him, give him the benefit of the doubt there. He's giving us the benefit of the doubt. Chapter 63. So wrapping it up, therefore it is right for us, having studied so many and such great examples, remember he gave us all these different examples of men from the Bible, biblical heroes, it's, it's appropriate for us then to bow the neck and adopting the attitude of obedience to submit to those who are the leaders of our souls, so that by ceasing from this futile dissension we may attain the goal that is truly set before us, free from all blame. Who are these leaders of our souls? Leaders of our souls. The leaders of our souls that he refers to are the duly appointed elders 
of the congregations at Corinth. And one thing you get from Clement is a strong belief in the hierarchical system of congregational leadership, something that doesn't fly real well in a lot of Protestant denominations today, where the pastor, you know, the buck stops with the pastor in, in many cases, you know, the pastor, he's the, he's the guy and that's it. But Clement has, Clement has a, a, a view of things that's based upon the synagogue model, levels of authority and so forth. He says, for you will give us great joy and gladness if you obey what we have written through the Holy Spirit and root out the unlawful anger of your jealousy, your baseless hatred, in accordance with the appeal for peace and harmony which we have made in this letter. All right. Yeah, that's the idea. But what's interesting here is that he says, if you obey what we have written through the Holy Spirit, which is to imply that Clement feels that his th this epistle that he's writing with the other elders of the Roman assembly this epistle is uh in some way it's uh it's an, it's divinely inspired that he's he's not just he's he's writing this in concert with with the will of the spirit and the inspiration of the spirit it's very similar to what we see for example when the Apostles send out the apostolic decree in Acts 15, and they say it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that you should do one, two, three, four, right? This is the idea. The idea is that when it comes through this duly appointed ecclesiastical authority of the congregations, uh, when the instruction comes through this channel, then it comes through this channel by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, so... Do what it says in our letter, basically, and everything's going to be fine. Then he goes on, he says, We've also sent trustworthy and prudent men from who youth to old age have lived blameless lives among us and who will be witnesses between you and us. Isn't this interesting? It's not just sending this by the mail service. Sending it, just as Paul always did, in the hands of messengers, shlikim, apostles that he's sending out. And in fact, he says, he's, it, we'll find out he's sending out three of them. There are three old men that he's sending to deliver this letter. How do we know they're old men? Because he says that they've been with us uh, and, and living blameless lives from youth to old age. So he's sending out three old men. In other words, three elders of the Roman assembly or of the assemblies in general three elders to carry the letter to Corinth. Why three? What do you think? I think it's a bait dean that he's actually, these, these three men are coming, not just carrying mail, but carrying legal authority of the congregations. This is in accordance with our master's teaching. If your brother sins against you, First, go tell him the matter privately, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take with you two, one or two others, one or two others plus you, uh, makes three, right? Two or three, as Yeshua says, so that every matter may be established by two or three witnesses. That's what it says in the Torah. And this is exactly what Clement says. We've sent these three guys who will be witnesses between you and us. 
So it's not just a letter with a lot of good advice. It's also coming with some teeth, some legal teeth, I guess. These three elders are supposed to make sure that these things are implemented then in Corinth. And we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about these three elders in a moment. This we have done, that is, we've sent these guys to you, in order that you might know that our only concern has been and still is that you should attain peace without delay. Don't you wish we had a Clement to, like, just... Well, actually, there is a Pope in Rome, and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, Clement is considered to be the third uh, in the papal succession, right? And then the guy he leaves behind and so on and so forth. So, it's not, you know, hierarchical systems are not always all they're cracked up to be. But this is when the church was still young and fresh, and um, the, the, the Clement is a disciple of the apostles. It's a different situation. Chapter 64. May the all-seeing God and master of spirits and Lord of all flesh, those three titles that he threw out for God, all-seeing God, master of spirits, Lord of all flesh, I like master of spirits, Lord of all flesh, because it, it's like body and soul. Neshama and goof. So may Hashem, who chose the Lord Jesus Christ and us through him to be his own special people. This follows a bracha formula. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, every time we say a bracha, it always follows the same formula. Blessed are you, Hashem our God, King of the universe, who did such and such. It always follows that formula. Who such and such. Who this and that. That's what Clement has going for us here. He says, uh, May Hashem, who chose the Lord Jesus Christ, very similar to who sanctified us with his commandments. Here he says, Who chose the Lord Jesus Christ and us through him to be his own special people. Now this is language borrowed from Exodus 19. You know, Exodus 19, where Hashem says at Mount Sinai, says, if you'll keep my covenant if, and be my people, you'll be for me a special treasured possession out of all, even though I own all the nations of the world, you'll be my special treasure, my am segula, my special people, right? Exodus 19. Or First Peter, Peter uses the same language. Uh, he says, um, he says that you're, you're a royal priesthood, you're a treasured nation, not that Clement has, uh, has confused Jews for Gentiles and Gentiles for Jews, but within the corporate identity of Israel, he's very comfortable placing the, the Corinthians in the, that identity and, and even using the same terminology and saying things like our fathers, God of our fathers, and, and we're a special people, a, a chosen people. May he grant to every soul that has called upon his magnificent and holy name and this is what Clement is bestowing on you all, okay? Because you studied the whole epistle, so you get this blessing too, right? So this is your bracha. May you receive faith, fear, fear of God, peace, patience, steadfastness, self-control, purity, and sobriety, that they may be pleasing that that they may be pleasing to His name, that you may be pleasing to His name through our high priest and guardian, Jesus Christ. So this list sounds vaguely familiar from a, a lot of different apostolic lists like this, where they lay out these virtues, such as, of course, the famous fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Also, you've got something similar in the beginning of Second Peter, and there's some other places. This is what Clement's asking for. 
And all of this comes to us through our high priest and guardian, Yeshua the Messiah. Everything, every experience with God comes through this priesthood, through the venue of this priesthood. And then he throws in a doxology, through whom be the glory and majesty and might and honor to him, to Hashem, both now and forever and ever. Amen. And that's our ninth countum, nine doxologies so far in this epistle. Then we just have a few closing remarks here. Now send back to us without delay our messengers. And he gives us their names, which is awesome. Claudius Ephibus, Valerius Beto, and Fortunatus. The first two guys we don't know. They're just like really common Roman names. Claudius and Valerius. Lot, you know, a lot of people pick, were going around with those, those particular names. But Fortunatus, we do know a Fortunatus. You can find, well, let's, let's go look at him. He's in 1 Corinthians 16, which is interesting, isn't it? Because Clement's writing an epistle to the Corinthians. Paul's writing an, uh, an epistle to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, he mentions this Fortunatus guy. In his closing remarks, it says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. So what Paul is saying is, uh, Paul's in 1 Corinthians, he's responding to an epistle he received from Corinth. Those were the three guys who carried the epistle from Corinth to Ephesus, where Paul was staying. One of them was a young man, I assume a young man, named Fortunatus. I think it's the same guy. It's, it's not impossible. Paul wrote, was writing here in the 50s, and Clement's writing in the 90s. If you're a young man in the 50s, you could be an old man in the 90s. Yeah? So I think, that's, I think it's the same guy. And it makes sense because if Fortunatus is in Rome now, and yet he has these old roots with the Corinthian community. In fact, he knew the community back when it was Paul's community still. And he was running mail back and forth on behalf of the Corinthians to Paul. That makes the letter carry a lot more weight when he arrives with a, another epistle for the Corinthians. So yeah, I think it's the same guy. So send them back uh, without delay, in peace and with joy, so that they may report as soon as possible that the peace and concord which we have prayed for and desire has been restored, right? That, that we too may rejoice, that we may all the more quickly rejoice over your good order. And then the closing verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, which is an apostolic greeting. I don't know if people say that anymore. Maybe some pastors do. Grace be with you. What does it mean, grace be with you? Does the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you? Remember, grace is favor. It's God's favor. God found favor in Yeshua. You know, he found favor in Moses. 
So if you were to say, may the favor that God found in Moses be with you, if you said this to the Israelites, they'd be like, yeah, that's for sure. You know, hopefully we don't get uh, abandoned here in the wilderness or something or dumped down a pit or, you know, a plague or something like that. Because Moses was always using his favor to intercede on behalf of the people. He said, if you found favor with me, don't destroy this people. Don't abandon this people. So when we say the same thing, we say, may the favor of Christ be with you. Hashem's found favor in Messiah. May that favor work on your behalf. That's what it means. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with all people everywhere who have been called by God through him, through whom be the glory, honor, power, majesty, and eternal dominion to him for everlasting, to everlasting. Amen. Tenth doxology and the end of the epistle. All right, well, second Clement's not as good. You know, sequels are never as good as the originals, right? The scholars agree that second Clement isn't actually written by Clement. It's a very old sermon. It's, it's interesting in its own right. It's a very old Christian sermon, but it's actually not written by Clement. So here's the question you're dying to ask. Well, whatever happened, did they, ex, you know, did, did they get their situation resolved or not? And according to, uh, according to what we can find in Eusebius, the letter was received and they did follow the advice of the letter. So I've got two passages for you from Eusebius. The first one is written by Eusebius in the fourth century. He's just talking about this epistle. He says, there is an extant epistle of this Clement, which is acknowledged to be genuine and is of considerable length and of remarkable merit. He wrote it in the name of the Church of Rome to the Church of Corinth when a sedition had arisen in the latter church. We know that this epistle also has been publicly used in a great many churches, both in the former time and in our own, and of the fact that a sedition did take place in the Church of Corinth at the time referred to, Hegesippus is a trustworthy witness. So we'll go look at Hegesippus in a moment. But a couple things we learn from this. First of all, that Clement was, is considered, it's universally considered to be reliable. Secondly, that even in the fourth century, it's still being read in the church. When something is read in the church, that's the, when, when Eusebius uses that language, that's the same thing we would say as is in the New Testament. Because there wasn't a New Testament at that time, of course. It's just like if something is read in the church, it's considered canonical. So in the fourth century, in many churches, he says, in many churches, many churches consider First Clement canonical. In other, in other words, should be in the New Testament. All right, well, we don't have to make that case. I mean, I, you know, my opinion is like, I'm always for adding more books to the Bible. <laughs> you know, I always like sequels and that sort of thing. Directors cut versions and whatever. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Then he also makes reference to Hegesippus. He says, Hegesippus, who, and if you remember Hegesippus, do you remember Hegesippus when we studied, oh, Tales of the Apostles and we were learning about the martyrdom of James? Uh, Hegesippus is the guy who brings us that whole story of the martyrdom of James. Hegesippus was a second century Jewish believer who had contact with Jewish believers in the land of Israel and, and then made this big, this big journey to Rome. And in this journey to Rome, 
he tried to visit as many churches as he could on the way, as many assemblies as he could stop at, and he was kind of taking their pulse on the way. And the reason he was he was stopping was because he was chronicling, he was making a, a chronicle of the succession of bishops and that sort of thing at, at each of these places. Anyway, so Eusebius has Hegesippus' book, which is called Memoirs. Actually, five books. It's five books long. It's called Memoirs. We don't have it, unfortunately, but Eusebius had it. He had it there in the library of Caesarea, probably. And so he says, Hegesippus, in the five books of Memoirs, which have come down to us, has left a most complete record of his own views. In them, he states that on a journey to Rome, he met a great many bishops and that he received the same doctrine from all. It is fitting to hear what he says after making some remarks about the epistle of Clement to the Corinthians. His words are as follows. So here's Augustus from Memoirs. It says, And the church of Corinth continued in the true faith until Primus was bishop in Corinth. I conversed with him on my way to Rome and abode with the Corinthians many days during which we were mutually refreshed in the true doctrine. In every succession and in every city that is held, that is held which is preached by the Torah and the prophets and the master. So Hegesippus is, he's on our side, he's on our team, and he's a good witness. And so Hegesippus states that order was restored in Corinth. And I had another source I can't find anymore that even talks about how the epistle of Clement is read in Corinth or was read in Corinth on a regular, they put it on a regular rotation, a regular cycle. Uh, so yes, the epistle was received. Order was apparently restored. The old guard was put back in. The change, the apostasy or whatever was forestalled, at least in the early second century. Agassipus is able to report, is, is able to give us a good report that Corinth, like all the other congregations he visited, are still preaching the Torah and the prophets and the, and, and the teaching of the master. 